0: Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started.
1: Hi, my name is Ashley, a Feminist Book Club content contributor, and I am here to talk to you with you about our upcoming read-a-thon. This will be my third year participating in the readathon, and it's such a relaxing and engaging time with our community. It's a time to be creative. It's a time to relax. It's a time to engage with that book that is on your TBR. No shade, no judgment. And it's also just a time to connect with you all on a more deeper level. It's very low stakes. I cannot emphasize that. More And this year, we also have our Radical Reading Challenge Passport, which is available on our website, feministbookclub.com. And what's great about the passport is that there are a bunch of different reading challenges that inform you on how to read different genres, read something that you normally don't, to set a goal, to engage with reading a little bit more differently and a little bit more broadly. I am looking forward to reading a couple of books throughout the weekend and engaging with you all on Instagram. We hope to have you all there posting with us or participating in the way that is best for you. Thank you and have fun.
0: Allow me to introduce you to Madame Rastel by Jennifer Wright. Out now from Hashat Books. Madame Ristel is a sharp, witty, gilded age medical history which introduces us to an iconic yet tragically overlooked feminist heroine, a glamorous women's healthcare care provider in Manhattan known to the world as Madame Ristel. A celebrity in her day with a flair for high fashion and public petty beefs, Ristel was a self-made woman and a single mother who used her wit, her compassion, and her knowledge of family medicine to become one of the most in-demand medical workers in New York. Before the 19th century, abortion and birth control were not only legal in the United States, but fairly common. And public health care needs for women and men alike were largely handled by midwives and female healers. However, after the birth of the clinic, newly minted MDs, newly minted male MDs, wanted to push women out of their space by forcing women back into the home and turning medicine into a standardized male-only practice. By unraveling the misogynistic and misleading lives that put women's health in jeopardy, Wright simultaneously restores Ristel to her rightful place in history and obliterates the faulty, fractured reasoning, underlying the very foundation of what has since been dubbed the pro- thought-provoking, character-driven, and funny and feminist as all hell. Madame Ristel is required reading for anyone and everyone who believes that when it comes to women's rights, women's bodies, and women's history, women should have the last word. Pick up your copy of Madame Ristel, The Life, Death, and Resurrection of Old New York's Most Fabulous, Fearless, and Infamous Abortionist by Jennifer Wright, out now from Hashtag Books. Um. Hi, everyone. I'm Renee Powers, and today I'm so excited to be sitting down with Deepti Kapoor. Deepti grew up in northern India and worked for several years as a journalist in New Delhi. She lives in Portugal with her husband, and you may know her because the book Age of Vice is getting all of the hype right now. Welcome, Deep D.
2: Thanks, Renee, for that incredible introduction, and I'm I'm really happy to be here.
0: So, right off the bat, let's orient our audience. Tell us about Age of Vice. Okay, so Age of Vice it's a novel which is set in North India,
2: and it starts with a car crash in the early hours of the morning in 2003. A fatal car crash that kills five people, and then we go back in time to delve into the lives of the three characters who are involved with the crash. So there's Ajay, who is a loyal servant with a tragic past. There is Sunny, the son of a feared gangster businessman who wants to move away from his father. And there's another curious, young and naive journalist who gets entangled in their world. And as the story unfolds, you see how the lives of each of these three characters and their dreams and ambitions take them to a point of no return. So that's, in a nutshell, how it starts.
0: No, that's brilliant. And this is Feminist Book Club. One question I love to ask our authors is, what makes this book feminist? Oh, gosh. Because I think it is. And I don't think it's obvious. It's not about, like, I don't know, a young woman, like, nurse in World War II or something. Like, that's very explicitly But something like this, where we center around two two male characters and then Netta is our female character and everybody's corrupt. What makes this book feminist to you?
2: I don't know, because it's an extremely masculine world. And I had to sort of work with that world because it's set in a North Indian world of Corrupt politicians, businessmen, and and gangsters, and and I I actually don't know what makes this book feminist. Renee, will you tell me, please? Because that would really help me. I haven't thought about this before. So, so
0: I think the way that masculinity is portrayed is really interesting. We see Ajay; he comes from you know such poverty and such trauma, and grows into this incredibly smart and savvy personal assistant to this crime boss sunny feminism can't be conflated with femininity right so i think masculinity is an incredibly important theme throughout this and how you portray the difference between ajay and sunny is so fascinating to me and and how they interact and then netta joins the narrative this journalist she is young she is kind of swept up by this story I think she was a breath of fresh air and really brought a discerning kind of critical perspective to the story. And I loved that that lens was through a female character. So I think the way that you're playing with gender, the way you're playing with masculinity and femininity and dark and light, I think it makes it incredibly feminist. And I'm going to borrow my friend Tracy Thomas from the stacks. One thing that she has said before is, you know, when a woman writes a book about whatever the fuck she wants, that makes it a feminist act,
2: yeah, exactly. I, I love that. And also the fact we always women writers, it's like, oh, you always write about yourselves. But when a man writes about themselves, it becomes this great, big novel about the world or so and and I like the idea that I'm stepping into a traditional masculine narrative and world and writing about it and saying that, you know what? Women can do it too. So we can write violence, we can write crime. There's Patricia Highsmith, who's, you know, this great big inspiration. I have her diaries. I always like to dip in and out of her thought process. And it's interesting because she was writing these fucked up characters, these men who did horrible things. And I'm doing the same thing. The only question is, am I doing it
0: well? Oh, absolutely. Okay, great. Thank you. (laughs) Your writing is so intricate and, and I don't, that, that has like negative connotations. Like it's not difficult. It's intricate. It's brilliant. It's like eating a four course meal with every sentence. Like it is rich oh, wow. and I think it brings so much to this story. And one of the ways that it brings so much to this story is it is so dark at times. It is incredibly violent. It is, you know, trigger warnings for everything. It is grim, but again, you don't pull any punches. It's titled Age of Vice. We know there's going to be all sorts of vices in this. And I'm wondering, I don't want to say like, what is the point of all the darkness? Because I think the darkness is the point. But what were you trying to convey? You know, maybe about the modernization of India, maybe about crime, maybe about uh, corruption. You know, what are all these vices trying to tell the world? So what I wanted to do
2: was Sort of use the tropes and conventions of a thriller in order to create something that was larger and stranger and more unstable. And unstable is the word I like to use here because it reflects the sort of unstable times that I found we are living in, especially in India. And an idea that I initially had about writing for about the Delhi rich, like a Gatsby Delhi soon turned into a novel about inequality, political corruption, power, abuse of power, and also because it's set in this particular time period, you're starting in the 90s, but then the main action is happening in the early aughts, is the time when India was just going through this incredible transformation, moving from a socialist economy to a capitalist one. So you had wealth being created very fast, but you also had all sorts of other things happening. And there was this very interesting relationship between politics, crime, violence, big business that I wanted to explore. But I wanted to do it in a kind of entertaining, thriller-like way. So
0: that's why I guess the world is the way it is. (laughs) I keep seeing this book described as cinematic and I'm wondering, was that a goal of yours? Did you write towards a cinematic storytelling style? What does that mean to you? And did you set out from the beginning to write it this way? So I think visually and in scenes
2: and images and then translate them to prose. And that definitely makes people think it's more cinematic. I'm also influenced by film. and It's because of the way I write. I'm basically thinking in filmic scenes. And then on blocks of text where I have this scene in my head and the positioning of all the characters, and then I translate that into prose. And I really think that that's the reason that it's being called cinematic, I think
0: that because that's the way that you think and the way that you write, do you think that's why it got picked up so quickly by FX?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I believe so. That was really interesting because normally you have to wait for the novel to come out and then you might get some interest and someone will option you. But this was uh, very quickly, this happened. And I think some producers and television executives could see how easily this story could translate, adapt, to screen because there's lots of incredible novels that are so interior and are hard to adapt.
0: There's so much to work with. I think we're in this golden age of book adaptation right now. It is so fun as a reader to watch our favorite books become shows and movies. How has this experience been so far?
2: Oh, it's been very interesting because I've been working for a couple of years with my husband we're adapting it together and it's interesting because when you write your novel it's not such a collaborative process you're working once you've submit the manuscript maybe you work with an editor and you have one person saying this works this doesn't can you explain this better but now it's a totally different world where you're working with a lot more people and and you're thinking about structure much more you are thinking about character but you know it's like how do you structure this world it's the same world, but it can be presented in so many different ways. So it's been extremely interesting and, and, and a great learning experience. And it's still going on.
0: I can imagine. Yeah. And I know that when, you know, a book gets optioned, a film or series, that it's no promises. But can you tell us what stage are you in? Is this a green light? Is it going to film? Or are you still just kind of working on the, the screenwriting part of it?
2: Working on the screenwriting part of it, but with very enthusiastic producers and trying to bring in more writers. So I can also work on the next two books because it's a trilogy, but also it's
0: it, it, try and get it done faster. You're a brilliant interviewee because that was my next question was about... <laughs> the trilogy. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I wasn't wrong that I did read that correctly. That it is going to be a trilogy. Can you tell us a little uh-huh. bit about what your ideas are for what's to come? Are you going to be following the same characters?
2: Um. So book two, I'm thinking about that and working on that a lot in a lot right now. Is following the same characters, but going into Vicky and Bunty's backstory. Following Ajay as he tries to build his consciousness from bottom up, like. A person who's always dependent on other people to create his identity. What if he now tries to do it himself? Neda returns to India. Sunny, the king, what does he do with that? So all of these questions. It's interesting because I wasn't done with the characters. I didn't intend to write this as a trilogy. But towards the end of writing, the first book, I felt like, okay, there's so much more I need to do. And that's how the idea came, to, to do it in three books.
0: I'm not a writer. And so I can't even begin to fathom having a, you know, 500-some page book in you and then being like, this is not done.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm wondering, did I make the right (laughs) decision? And as we've talked about before, this world is not pretty.
0: Do you find that the darkness of this world creeps in or can you kind of compartmentalize it? Well, first of all, I live in Lisbon, which is extremely sunny and like a
2: refuge. It's a very pretty calm serene city it's very very far away from the world's portrayed in age vice. but i mean i go back for research all the time when i ride i have a very strict routine and structure and i wake up early in the morning i write in the early hours of the morning i meditate i go hiking i do yoga so that's how i protect myself and compartmentalize but you know when you're in the world you're also in the world and you're constantly thinking about but about the world but the other way to do it is even when I'm meditating, actually, like
0: basically I'm just working out problems. Mm. It's hard, but it's also exciting. I mean, I I have all my best ideas in the shower. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> when when you're still, that is where inspiration and where you can unravel those ideas.
2: Yeah. And also, I think it's really important to be open to your subconscious and to giving you ideas and to be able to catch them when they come so you know they're not actually going to come when you're sitting at a desk they might come when you're going on a walk somewhere or they might come when you're sitting in a bar and drinking wine or anything like it when it comes you just have to catch it
0: Ooh, Like and then in a bottle.
2: Course, yeah catch it and then you take it to the workshop and you know hammer and beat it into shape and that's when the hard work comes in place and that's when you have to keep writing and working and, and teasing and uh, have that idea but it's interesting because sometimes it comes for me ideas also come when I'm having a bath I love having long mm-hmm. and reading because that bath time is really important I don't keep the phone with me I make sure I close the door you know nothing comes in and that's also a great time to so it, yeah it could be anything as you said shower <laughs> you sound
0: incredibly disciplined
2: No, no, no! This is just my my one. I I I also go off on 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 digressions and tangents, and I'm not disciplined. So, (laughs) yeah. But I led a very undisciplined life in my twenties and thirties, and now I'm trying to, you know. But now, when I work, I'm disciplined. But the material that I collected was from leading a this undisciplined life.
0: Yeah. So tell me about that.
2: So yeah, in my twenties, I was a journalist in Delhi and I drove around a lot. I was, I had a very open brief. I was the social trends correspondent. Basically, I had to document social trends. How, how is the city changing? What are people doing with their time? And this was incredibly exciting because suddenly you did have all the toys of the West coming to us, which would be, you know, bowling alleys and, you know, restaurants and the first. TGIF opened, it was an event in my life. I remember, you know, I was like 18 or 19 years old. Weird things, but it's how this, the city changed very rapidly. And I partied a lot and I had very wealthy friends. I used to go to their private houses, party late into the night, watch all this glitz and glamour and unfold in front of me. And then only late, years later, was able to piece it all together. And see how I could weave all those years into a narrative, a fictional narrative. But that that really helped.
0: Yeah, you bore witness to all these vices. Yeah, amazing, fascinating inspiration. Thank you. I want to know what has surprised you or what has not surprised you about the reception of this book. Like we had talked at the top, like this is getting a lot of buzz. The last time I saw a book that got optioned before it was even out you know it's it's everywhere it was a like good morning america pick it was a book of the month pick like what has surprised you and what has not surprised you about that it's interesting because what surprised me was
2: the fact that so many people like it and like reading it and when you're creating something you hope for that but you don't know what's Also surprised me is the fact that a lot of people are calling it a thriller. It is a crime thriller, but it's also something bigger than that a lot. And it's strange and digressive. So if it becomes a a genre novel, someone enters into the world thinking it's a genre novel and they're reading a basic like crime thriller, they might not be happy with the way it moves because it becomes something weirder by the end. So, so that has been, I don't like to read reviews, though I sometimes sneak a peek. Human. Yeah, exactly. Maybe in a few years, I'll be zen about it. But it's always surprising people's reactions are, you know, endlessly surprising and interesting. So, but I also try to keep away from it because I don't want it to affect the way I think about the next two books. Because if you start to think about how people respond to your work, you start to second guess yourself, which is not good mm. when you're doing when you're still in the same world.
0: I'm so glad that you said that about how it's kind of being pitched as a thriller. I went into it thinking it was going to be a thriller and was very surprised by the end of it because it really is kind of this epic crime drama saga. And you're right. I think that if you go in expecting a thriller, you're going to not not necessarily be disappointed because I think that you're going to be swept away by the story, but it's not part of that genre.
2: Got it. Yeah, exactly that. I completely agree with you. And if you go with it, into it with a very open mind about Mm -hmm. where it may lead, then then it's fine. And I think crime novels are great as well because they're very self-contained. And a lot of times I think people read them for the fact that the, the world will be turned upside down in the beginning, but then in the end you have the reassurance of, say, the killer being found or everything that's gone wrong will will go right in some way or the other. And if you don't get that reassurance, if you're thrown into further chaos, then sometimes you get upset as a person mm-hmm. as well. Like, who wants the good guys to win and the bad guys to lose? But life is more messy and complicated, and I wanted to reflect that
0: yeah. reality. I've seen it compared to what kind of feeling it evokes or, like, what you can expect from it. The Sopranos or Sons of Anarchy or Breaking Bad. Like, these are anti-heroes and gritty and messy and dark and and real (laughs) yeah absolutely i mean especially the
2: sopranos because you know this is kind of like guys who are unrepentantly horrible you know
0: i think you've done such a great job this book is so deserving of the hype it's getting and i'm really excited to hopefully see it on screen as well and get to know these characters more in book two René, I really
2: enjoyed speaking to you, and um, the only thing I would say to your audience would be to go into it with a very open mind about where it will lead.
0: There's okay. no pretty ribbon packages by the end; it is all no. a mess. And if you enjoy a mess, this is the perfect book for you.
2: Yeah, it's chaotic <laughs> and sprawling, and and entertaining in that very gritty, dark way, where you will basically keep turning the page
0: until you get to the end, Amazing. and then it's like, whoa. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> With more to come. So my final question for you is we're a community of readers. We love to read. So would you like to recommend a book that's not one of your own to our oh. readers today?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm reading this, this Spanish book called Crematoria Cremation by a writer called Rafael Sherbis. And it's this very interesting exploration of a guy, one of a big sort of patriarch dies, and all the people around him are trying to start to talk about their relationship with this guy and it's exploring the transformation of a Spanish Mediterranean seaside town from like a very rural agrarian village to what happened, which is again similar to that age of vice where you have real estate developers and drug dealers, a community that becomes rich very rapidly and what happens to all the people involved. So it's very dense and it kind of like has some of the themes that I explore in my own work, especially with the changes brought by capitalism, but it does it in a completely different way.
0: So if you like Age of Bias, pick this one up.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Well, we will put links to that in the show notes. We'll put links to your book in the show notes as well. And where can we find you on the internet if we want to connect with you further? I am on Instagram and under deepdkp. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Don't go anywhere. I really appreciate you taking the time and everyone get out and get this book if you haven't already. Great. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club.
2: Well, Red Woman is a dangerous creature, creature, oh.